Let's start with a road map of where we're going, and then we'll get on the road together. We're going to walk back or travel back into eternity past and see the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. And then we're going to go forward to eternity future and see the slain Lamb as the song, the central song of the universe. And we're going to circle back to the center of history, not necessarily the temporal center, but the center of significance, and see the actual slaying of the Lamb of God. So that's our first journey back, forward, center. Then we're going to go to those same three vistas again, and this time not focus on the Lamb, but on the people of the Lamb. So we go to eternity past in our second trip through, and we see the people appointed or predestined or written in a book with their names. And then we come straight chronologically to the center of history and see the people who were appointed, purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And then we make our last trip to the end of history and into eternity future, and we see the appointed, purchased people praising the Lamb with the song of the universe, the Lamb that was slain. So those are our two trips through eternity, and then we'll bring it here into these rooms in Atlanta and Houston and talk about the meaning of those three sites for your life. What does it mean that the Lamb was slain in the mind of God forever past? What does it mean that He is sung as a slain bloody Lamb forever future? And what does it mean that in the middle of history He was slain outside Jerusalem under Pontius Pilate? Or what does it mean for you that you were appointed, oh, I pray, that your name is in the book written before the foundation of the world? What does it mean that you were purchased by the blood of the Lamb 2,000 years ago? And what does it mean that you will be praising the song of the Lamb forever? And there are three purposes of your life that I'll draw out. So there's the roadmap. That's where we're going, and I hope it helps you find your way. I hope you'll put your spiritual hands on the steering wheel of your mind and drive with me into eternity, past and future, and at the center of history 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem. So, it's probably too dark to see a Bible, but if you can, use your flashlight. Every phone has a flashlight, doesn't it? Because what I say doesn't matter unless you can see it in the book, namely the Bible. There's another book that we'll talk about, but that book is authoritatively spoken about in the Bible, and therefore, either listen very carefully as the Bible opens this or look at it with me. We're going to go to the strangest book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. 
And in the book of Revelation, we're going to go to chapter 13, which is one of the strangest chapters in the book of Revelation. And here's one of the reasons I'm going here. Here's how God led me. I have felt in the last months, November and December in particular, that with the the gunning down of 130 people in Paris and 14 in San Bernardino and then all kinds of amazing shakings in people's mouths about Islam and some very careless things that have been said and there's a kind of unease, dis-ease in the culture that is strange. People feel awkward. People feel, what's going to happen? What is the future for us here It seems to me that a strange book and a strange chapter about strange things fit strange, unexpected, nervous times. In fact, I think that the more strange the times become, the more unexpected, the more shaking and uncertain, the more this strange book is going to be as relevant as it really is. So here we are in chapter 13, you don't need to know who the beast is. You really don't. You don't need to know when the beast is. But you do need to know whether you will worship beastly contenders for the authority of God in your life. If I could help you be ready to contend successfully with all beastly contenders for your affection and for your allegiance. You would be ready for anything that shows up, so it doesn't matter whether you know the details. And that's my biggest concern. I want to help you. You do need to know by what power you will be rescued from the forces of idolatry hovering over your campus with supernatural deceptive powers against which no human resistance can stand. You need to know by what power you will be rescued from that beastly deception that moves through your classes, moves through your dorms with a kind of power that if you could see it with your eyes, you would be terrified and know you needed help from God. So I don't, I don't need to know the name. I don't need to know the time because we're in the time. We've always been in the time. Let's go to chapter 13 and read it verse at a time. I'll, call, I'll pause a couple of times in reading the first 10 verses of Revelation 13 to explain a couple of things, but not the things you probably want explained. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems, those are crowns, diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. Now pause. We do know who the dragon is 
because of chapter 12, verse 9. I'll read it to you. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So now back to verse 2 here. The dragon, that is the devil, Satan, gave his power, his throne, his authority to the beast. This is a Satan-empowered power. Verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? That sentence belongs to God. Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Verse 7, also it was allowed to make war on the saints. Who are the saints? Pause here. Who are the saints? Chapter 14, verse 12 tells us who the saints are. Here is a call for endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Christians, they keep their faith in Jesus in spite of everything, and they stay on task with His commands, not perfectly, but oh, the direction of their life is all for Jesus. Those are the saints. And this beast, by the power of Satan, is making war on the saints to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe, people, and language, and nation. This is no marginal conflict. Everywhere, all peoples influenced by this beastly power of deception. And now verse 8 is the main verse that I'm going to be talking about. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, and I'll say that to you, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith 
of the saints. In verse 8, we have now arrived at our first point on the journey and our roadmap, namely in eternity past, and we see it in the phrase, before the foundation of the world. Are you with me? We are now before the foundation of the world. So let's read it again. What happened there? All who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. There is a book before the foundation of the world, and the book has a name. And the name of the book is the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain, which means that in the mind of the author of this book, the Lamb is slain. It is as good as done, and the author of this book is God. The slaying of the Lamb of God was the plan of God before the universe. Are you with me? Is that in the verse? The slaying of the Lamb of God was the plan before the universe existed. The slaying of the Lamb of God was the plan before history existed. The slaying of the Lamb of God was the plan before sin existed. If Satan, together with Adam and Eve, thought when he brought sin into the world that he was wrecking God's plan, he's a fool. He didn't wreck it. He set it up. Because it was the plan that there be a slain lamb before the foundation of the world. Now, we're going to go back to verse 8. There's lots more there. But we're taking our first tour first. And now we're going to go to the end of history and to eternity future. We're going to go to chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, and see what they're singing about there. It's all over now. History's over. This little footnote called Passion is over. And now we're going to listen to the song of heaven. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll. Now why? Why would, why would they say he's worthy? Worthy are you to take the scroll because you were slain. That's why we're going to sing. That's what we're going to say about the worth of the Lamb forever. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's what we're going to sing. We're going to sing bloody songs forever because the, the center of everything, it is the central song of the universe, is the slain lamb. It was the plan from eternity. It is the song for eternity. Yes, it is. 
chapter 5, verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing because he was slain. Or chapter 17, verse 10, great multitudes without number saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the slain Lamb is the song of the universe forever. That's what Revelation shows us in all of its strangeness. So in eternity past, the plan, a lamb will be slain. In eternity future, a song, he was slain, and he is infinitely worthy because of it. Now, let's go to the center. So we're circling back, back, forward, circling back to the center, and I don't mean temporal center. I mean center of significance in history 2,000 years ago. In John's other big book, you know, John the Apostle wrote Revelation, and he wrote another big book and then three little books. He wrote a lot. The other big book is the Gospel of John, and there is where we find the actual slaying of the Lamb. So John the Baptist comes on the scene. And John tells us that he was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So now we know. It's not ambiguous anymore. We know who is the Lamb of God, planned to be slain before the foundation, sung forever at the other end. The Lamb of God is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And then... He lets us watch Jesus resolve to carry the plan through. Chapter 10, verse 18 of the Gospel of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and as we saw last night, I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge I have received from my Father. Yes, when? Before the foundation of the world. Son, we're going to do this, and we'll create a world so you can do it. John 19, verse 28, the most horrible moment in the life of Jesus. And what's he doing? He's fulfilling plans. This is amazing to me. Listen, John 19, 28, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished to fulfill the Scripture, said, I thirst. Can you believe that? I am here by plan. It's all written down. And it says in the plan, I'm thirsty. I'm going to be thirsty. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. I kept every part 
of the plan. Salvation is purchased. So summarizing the first three points of our journey, the central plan of the universe in eternity past, the central song of the universe in eternity future, and the central supreme act of God in history, the actual slaying of the Lamb of God. Do not be intimidated by brilliant people on your campus who do not know what the central purpose of the universe is and are living in total darkness with all of their brilliance. Don't be intimidated by brilliant people who live in the dark and don't know what the point of it all is. Don't be intimidated. If you have seen and know these three things, the plan of the universe is the Lamb slain. The song of the universe forever is the Lamb slain. The central point of history is the Lamb slain. If you know those three things, you know vastly more than they do, and it is important and totally life-changing. You don't need to know a lot of things. You just need to know a few things and believe them with all of your heart. But there's more now. There's more. We've got to take these stopping points again. So we're going to go back to eternity, past. We're going to go chronologically through Jerusalem, and then we're going to go on to the end in that order. And this time we are not looking at the Lamb per se, but at the people of the Lamb, appointed, purchased, praising. We're going to look for you in the story, and I'm going to suggest that right now you pray, not out loud, just in your heart, that God would show you your presence in these scenes because everything hangs on being there. If you're not there in these scenes, you are, of all people, the most to be pitied. Pray that God would grant you to see yourself there. Back at Revelation 13, we're going to start in verse 7, move from war in history against the saints to eternity past. Here's the way it goes. Also, the beast was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. What does conquer mean in that verse? The beast was allowed. He's not in charge. The beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. I'll read to you chapter 11, verse 7, what conquer means. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Conquer means kill. They will kill. 
in, in this vision, Christians are being killed wholesale. Not one here and there. Globally. The reason I say globally is because of these words at the end of verse 7. This will happen. You will conquer every tribe and people and language and nation. Now, if you spend the rest of your life trying to say, oh, when's that going to happen? When's that going to happen? You will totally miss it. It's always happened. And then it will crescendo. And if you're not ready for the always in the first century, fifth, tenth, now, <laughs> what good will it be to be able to set a date? In Revelation chapter 2, we see this killing already happening in the churches to which John is writing. So here's chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus speaking to the church of Smyrna, do not fear what you are about to suffer. It's 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil, the dragon, is about to throw some of you into prison to be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Satan kills Christians. He did it in the first century. He's doing it in Syria. He's doing it in Iraq. He's doing it in Libya. He's doing it all over the world. More visible now, perhaps, to us isolated Western Christians than it ever has been. And it's happening because Jesus said it would happen. Luke 21, 16, some of you they will put to death. Or these amazing words as he's walking, bearing his cross, and he sees the women crying, and he says, if they do these things when the wood is dry, what will they do when it is green? No, I said it backwards. Glad I caught myself. And maybe you'll remember it because of it. If they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Meaning, it's hard to burn green wood, and they're about to burn it. You're easy to burn. And you will. That's what he was saying. It happens all over the world. If they do these things when the wood is green, what will they do when John Piper's sinful dryness is exposed? So the question is, will you worship the mighty contenders for the authority of God in your life? Beastly contenders hovering over your campus with supernatural powers of deception? Will you worship the beastly contenders for the authority of God in your life, or will you worship the Lamb? Do you know by what power you will be rescued from that deception? Here's the answer. It's in verse 8. I'll start in verse 7 again. 
We're still in First Corinthians 13, I mean, Revelation 13. Authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation over the given to the beast. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb that was slain. Get that? If your name is not in the book, you will worship. Non-lamb powers. But if your name is in the book, you will not worship the beast. Why not? Why is there a perfect correlation between being in the book and not worshiping? The book was written before the foundation of the world with all the names. Because the name of the book is the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, which means that the blood of the Lamb secures and guarantees the life of those who are written in the book forever. They will not worship the beast. They will worship the Lamb at any cost. What power will keep you from worshiping on your campus? Beastly alternatives to Jesus? Deceptive supernatural powers against which human resistance is hopeless? What power will keep you? The power of God Almighty totally devoted to those who are in the book. There is nothing more important than to know whether you're in the book. And this is all rooted in eternity past. The names were written, verse 8, before the foundation of the world. Unless you think there's some kind of grammatical issue there, which there is, I'll confirm it with verse 8 of chapter 17. The dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world will marvel at the beast. If your name is not in the book, you'll say, whoa, ho, ho, that's attractive. I'm getting on that wagon, conquering all these Christians. Christianity is over. It's over in the Middle East. I'm on that ISIS bandwagon. Is your name in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain? You can't know it by peeking. There's no peeking because the Lamb, the Lamb's book, is shut until chapter 20, verse 12. And then at the judgment, it will be opened. Can you know? If you're in the book, 
You can. Do you remember who the saints are? Verse 7. The saints, according to chapter 14, verse 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. The saints are in the book. The saints and the book are the same. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. There is a perfect correlation in this room. Houston, Phillips, here, there's a perfect correlation between those who are in these rooms written in the book and those who, by God's Spirit, embrace Jesus Christ as the treasure of their lives and trust Him like a little baby dependent on their father. There's a perfect correspondence between the saints and the book, between the believers and the book. To be in the book is to be a believer. To be a believer is to be in the book. The saints are in the book and the saints are believers in Jesus. Travel with me now forward to the center point of history where these saints written in the book from before the foundation of the world are purchased. Ephesians chapter 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did he do that? How did Christ obtain his bride by giving himself up? Up what? He gets very specific when he talks to the elders in Acts 20, verse 28. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's how he gives himself up. He sheds his blood. He knows, I'm the lamb. The lamb is slain for the life of the book. I will pour out my blood for my bride. I will have my bride at any cost. I will purchase her. And then he gets beautifully descriptive in 1 Corinthians 6.20. You were bought with a price. Indeed, you were. And what a price it was, the slaying of the Lamb of God. And now we travel one more time to the future, the eternal future, and we see the, the appointed people written in the book, the purchased people now praising God with the song of the universe forever and ever. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's what we'll be singing praising Him forever and ever. So let me summarize now these two trips. First time, we saw in our journey to eternity past that the Lamb was slain in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Then we saw that He is sung for eternity as the song of the universe. And then we circled back and we saw the actual slaying on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Then we did the trip again and we saw in the past that in the mind of God there was not only a slam lane, uh, a lamb slain, but there was 
a list in the book for whom he will purchase them. He will purchase them. So appointed, purchased, and then we traveled forward and saw them praising the Lamb forever. And now, and now the journey ends in, in these rooms with you and the purpose for your life of what all of this means. That's where we're going next. There are three purposes. What, what does it mean for you personally? Did, did you see yourself there? What does it mean for you that the Lamb was slain in the mind of God in eternity past? What does it mean for you that you were purchased in the center of history? And what does it mean for you that you'll be singing if your names are in the book? Three things. Number one, your name is in the book so that you will see the glory of the Lamb. Seeing the Lamb as beautiful is the great vocation of the Christian. This is the fountain of all the godliness in your life, seeing the Lamb as supremely beautiful and satisfying and compelling. The devil knows this, and that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is the most terrifying thing in the world to me, that people I love or myself may be so blinded by the devil that they look at Jesus and he is not beautiful. He's not their treasure. Money is their treasure. Videos are their treasure. Making grades are their treasure. The boyfriend is their treasure. That to me is the most terrifying thing in the world. Death is not terrifying. To be so deceived that you can't see Jesus as the treasure of your life, that's the most terrifying thing. The great first decisive result of being in the book is that Jesus is beautiful to you. You see him for who he is. That's the effect of being in the book. So the risen lamb says to us in Revelation 1.18, I died and see, I am alive forevermore. See, it's a command. Revelation 5, 5, the elder says to John, weep no more. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. <clears throat> Revelation 22, 7, the lamb says, see, I am coming soon. See, I'm alive. See, I conquered. See, I'm coming. Do you? Do you see? To be in the book is to see. And then in chapter 1, he tells us what he saw when he looked at the risen lamb. His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From the mouth, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. The first and decisive effect of being in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain is that you see the Lamb as supremely precious. More than anything else in your life. Do you? Second, this means that since your name is in the book, you will live and die humbly and happily to show that Jesus is more precious than life. So I'm moving from seeing to showing. First effect of being in the book is you see. Second effect of being in the book is that you live and you die humbly and happily in order to show Jesus is more precious than life. If your name is in the book, your calling is not to stay alive, but to stay in love. Death is a small thing compared to hell, a very small thing. So many today that are trying to figure out ways, we're going to keep ourselves alive, going to take them out. If you're in the book, that's not your goal. The purpose of being in the book, of being known, appointed, loved, purchased, singing, the point is not to keep yourself alive, but to keep yourself in love with Jesus, to love Jesus so much, nothing, not even death, will stop it. This is the spirit that must, must run in our day. We're ready to die for the world. We don't kill for the world. We die for the world. That's what Christians do. We keep ourselves in love. We don't keep ourselves alive. And by your life, humble, happy, by your death, humble, happy, the Lamb is seen to be more precious than anything. Isn't that the way it works? If you can die happily in fellowship and security with Jesus, you make Him look really good, really precious. But if you are, at any cost, you're not killing me, what does that show? Like, you're just like everybody. That's what it shows. The world will not rise up and say, tell me the reason for the hope that is in you. They'll know where the hope that is in you. It's in your holster. That's where it is. Do not fear those who are about to suffer. This is Revelation 2.10. Do not fear those who are about to 
Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I, this is Jesus talking, I will give you the crown of life. I think Jesus would say right now, do you hear me? I, I will give you the crown of life if you endure in love to me to the end of your life. I will give you the crown of life. I, I will not send 10,000 messengers to crown my 10,000 martyrs. No, I won't. I will come to you personally. I will pick you up. I will take you to myself. I will put the crown on your head, and you know why it's a crown of life, because I, the life of the world, touch you when I put the crown on your head. I will do this personally, individually for you. I will crown you. You don't need to save your life. You need to stay with me. You need to love me more than anything. Is your name in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain? If so, you now have two callings so far, and there'll be a third. The first calling is to see him as more precious than anything. And the second calling is to show him more precious than life by the happy, humble way you live and the happy, humble way you take the bullet. Lastly, number three. All of that leads to a great privilege, the greatest of all, being glorified with him or sharing in his glory. You will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. And beyond all imagination, I, I think what I'm about to quote here from uh, Revelation 2, where is it? 321. What I'm about to quote from Revelation 321 may be the most breathtaking thing that could be said about you in the future. So see if you think so. The one who conquers, now that's you, enduring to the end in love and faith for Jesus. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You're going to share the rule of the universe. I mean, that's the least it means. We will be taken into the Lamb's fellowship and take our seat with Him. I can't picture this throne. You shouldn't try. It doesn't make sense. You will sit with Him. This is millions of people, all right? You will sit with Him personally, individually, on the throne as he sits on the Father's throne, that's what it means in your future to be in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. John saw, we read, his face shining like the sun in full strength. Revelation 1.16. I saw him shining like the sun in full strength. Yes, 
and now you, sitting with Him on the throne of the universe with God Almighty. What about your face? This is what Jesus says about your face. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. People won't be able to look at you without new eyes to keep from being blinded at your glory. The Lamb will transform your lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. And you will be free from sinning. Oh, hasten the day, right? You will be freed from sinning and sorrow and sickness and shame, and you will be happy. You will be as happy as you can be forever. Now, if any of you is afraid, and you do not know if your name is in the book, at least I can imagine that would be the case since so much hangs on it and it was written before the foundation of the world. If you're afraid right now that your name might not be in the book or you wonder if it's in the book or you wonder, what can I do? Here's the way I want to end. One more minute. I want you to hear God speak a final word to you from the final book of the Bible, from the final chapter of the Bible. And isn't it, I mean, it must be significant. It just must be significant that the last book of God's revelation and the last book in the book of God's revelation and the last chapter in the last book of the book of Revelation would be this. This is, this is what He wants you to hear. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who is let the one who hears, that's me, say, come. And so I do. I say, come. 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 Let the one who is thirsty, surely that would be all of us. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Because the Lamb paid the price. And if you would have Him, if you would come, if you would have Him as your treasure, you're in the book. Father, please take this word and awaken thousands of hearts to see Jesus as beautiful, satisfying, compelling over all contenders. And grant that those hearts now would live humbly and happily and die humbly and happily to show that Jesus is more precious than life.